This morning we want to look at our fourth commandment of community, and that is to speak encouragingly. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, and in just a moment we're going to look together at verses 29 and 30. But let me remind you that as we do, that what God has to say in His Word is applicable to all relationships, marriage relationships, parent-child relationships, work relationships, friendships. We are specifically focusing on church relationships and the kind of relationships we have here in our community as a whole, as well as in the smaller communities of adult congregations and small groups and things like that. But I want you to be aware that this truth is true for all relationships, and if we follow what God says, it will bring blessing no matter who we're interacting with. Look with me at what Paul says in verses 29 to 30. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing on our study of this text. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the grace to be able to talk about it. Lord, you know full well that what it is that you have to say in your word is too difficult for us to do. So we ask that in the power of your spirit, you would give us the capability first to listen and then to obey, so that as we do follow the instructions you give to us, you will be the one who receives all of the glory for it. Thank you for the gift of community. Father, you have existed in community with the Son and the Holy Spirit from eternity past, and you have granted to us the grace of knowing something of this kind of community in the body of Christ as we engage with one another. Lord, you are the expert in this. Teach us how to have the kind of relationships with others that are a blessing to us and to them. In your Son's name we pray. Amen. Paul begins this discussion about speaking encouragingly by telling us what we're not supposed to be talking about when we get together, what we're not supposed to be discussing when our small groups meet together. Look what he says. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Now, Paul is literally against unwholesome talk, but the word that's used for unwholesome is really the word for worthless. It's the word that Jesus uses when he says, a good tree cannot produce worthless fruit. It's not so much the idea of rotten fruit. A tree doesn't produce rotten fruit, but it can produce inedible fruit. It can produce fruit that is worthless or useless. Our family knows this because this past summer, we decided to have a little garden at our house. We thought this would be a great opportunity for our kids uh, to be able to see how food grows and to be able to participate in that process. And so each child had a chance to pick a different uh, fruit or vegetable or something they wanted to grow. And one of our children picked corn. So great. 
We had never grown corn before, and so we planted 10 little stalks of corn. And, you know, corn's pretty fun to grow because it's clear when it's growing. And so uh, every day our kids would go out there and watch the corn get bigger and bigger. And now with corn, there's sort of that anticipation because other vegetables, you get to kind of pick some stuff along the way. Well, corn, it's this one shot. You know, you got a whole stalk and you're going to get one ear. And so every day it's getting taller and the anticipation is growing and our kids are excited. Is today the day we're going to pick the corn? And I, of course, am convinced this is going to be the greatest tasting corn ever. You know, we've done all the stuff you're supposed to do. And now we've not grown this before. And so somewhere late summer, Lisa says to me, uh, I think it's probably time to pick the corn. And in my infinite experience, I say to her, no, it's probably not ready yet. And so we wait a week or two, which unfortunately turns out to be a week or two too late. And so by the time we actually do pick the corn, instead of the big, beautiful, juicy yellow kernels, it's now dried out and inedible. This is the idea of worthless. Now, as you can imagine, we were sad. The kids were sad, looking forward all summer to eating these 10 ears of corn. Lisa and I were sad because it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work to get worthless food out of these corn plants. That's what Paul's talking about in Ephesians chapter 4. Don't let worthless words come out of your mouth. Because look what it says it does, verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. You see, just like our family was sad because we put in all this effort and what we got out was worthless food, so it's saying that God is grieved. He is saddened to put in all this effort to send His Son to die for us, to redeem us, only to have us produce worthless words with our mouths. And when we sit around our small groups and speak about worthless things, God is grieved. Is this what Christ died for? Is this what new creation is supposed to be about? Now, what are the kinds of worthless, worthless things that you and I speak about that so grieves God's heart? Well, I think Paul gives us some definition as to what these things are just a few verses later. If you look down into chapter 5, verse number 4, Paul continues his discussion on the kinds of things we talk about. And there he lists for us three kinds of worthless words. Look in verse 4. He says, nor should there be, number one, obscenity. Number two, foolish talk. Number three, coarse joking, which are out of place. See, when we think about worthless words, we're not talking about small talk. We're not talking about witty banter. Paul has in mind three distinct things that he thinks are worthless, that grieve God's heart. The first is obscenity. And obscenity is what you think it is. It's swear words. It's racially derogatory comments. 
It's sexually explicit language. It's graphic language. Those kinds of things the Bible labels as obscenity, just like the culture labels obscenity. And the idea is that sometimes Christians, and even unfortunately Christian leaders, in an attempt to be hip or cool or shocking or relevant, engage in this kind of vulgar language, whether it is swear words or graphic language or sexually explicit language. But that's not relevant or hip or cool to God. It saddens his heart. And when he hears that kind of language, the question is, did Christ die for this? Did Christ die for us to speak these kinds of obscenities to one another? And it makes his heart sad. The second thing he says is worthless that we so often speak is foolish talk. Now, he doesn't mean that never say anything foolish. We do all say things that are foolish sometimes. What he's talking about here is sort of foolish controversies and foolish debates and discussions. This is the guy who comes to small group and spends 20 minutes talking about how he is absolutely sure that the Federal Reserve is part of some vast global conspiracy to wipe out small business everywhere and return us back to the monetary system of the Middle Ages. And nothing will convince him otherwise and all of his facts and internet sites are all lined up and he pontificates endlessly about this. This is the woman who comes to small group and she is confident she knows exactly how relationships are supposed to work because she's watched hours and hours of Oprah and she's watched reality television and she is an expert in how it's supposed to be and nobody can tell her anything different. This is the guy who comes to small group and he's got 14 different reasons why his favorite university football team is going to win the next 10 national championships because they've just recruited this eighth grader who in four years is going to be a star player and he's read it all on rivals.com and nobody convinced him that's not going to be the case that's what paul means by foolish talk and he says that when we spend our time together in community talking about those kinds of things it's worthless words now i'm a football fan and i'm think relationships are important and i think that our monetary system and the government entities are important but there is a place in which discussing those things ad infinitum in which you present yourself as an expert and marshal all sorts of weird conspiracy theories together paul says that's just a waste of time it's worthless and it saddens God's heart. The last thing he lists, besides obscenity and foolish talk, coarse joking. Now, he doesn't mean here humor in general. God is for humor. God has a great sense of humor. And God created us to laugh. That's one of the reasons why we've tried to make these videos and inject some humor into the process of thinking about small groups is because there are some funny things that happen. And God is glad when we laugh together and we enjoy life together. What he's talking about here is different. He's talking here about sarcasm and about ridicule and mean-spirited humor. When I was a 
seminary student in Dallas had a good friend who was from the country of Ghana in West Africa. And we used to go to church together every Sunday morning, and I was the one that had the car and could drive, and so we would always drive to church together. And then after church on Sundays, there was never any food in the dorm at seminary, and so we would always look to go out to eat. And I remember distinctly one Sunday, uh, we were headed to the Char Bar. This is a place only Dallas could have. You get like 30-ounce steaks for $5. So you can kind of tell the quality of meat we were getting at the Char Bar, but we were poor seminary students and we needed to eat. And I remember my friend and I were driving there, and I think we had a couple of other guys in the car with us that Sunday. And of course, we had just finished church, and as all-knowing seminary students, somebody made a very sarcastic comment about the service or something that happened. And all of us laughed except for my African friend, and he was thoroughly confused. They don't have sarcasm in his village in Ghana. That wasn't really part of his culture, and he was befuddled by this idea, and so we tried to explain to him. Now, let me get this straight, he says. You say one thing, but you mean the opposite by it? And so we tried to explain it to him, and he even practiced a little bit, and he tried to say something that was patently not true, but in a way that was sarcastic, and we were having good fun with it, and you know, we thought we were wonderful because we had taught this uh, nice African guy sarcasm. That is, it was good fun until we arrived at the char bar, and without any of us knowing what he was doing or what he had in mind, as soon as we got in the door, he bolted to the front to get in line, and right in front of him was a very overweight woman. And the first thing out of his mouth is he says to her, you are very skinny. <laughs> and then he laughs and says, that's sarcasm. <laughs> it's a true story. <laughs> and this poor woman is humiliated. And we are horribly embarrassed. And suddenly it dawns on us that we've taught this beautiful, innocent Christian leader, the vicious power of sarcasm. That's what Paul's talking about here. Those are the worthless words he's thinking about. It's the mean-spirited humor. It's the humor at somebody else's expense. It's the stuff that's meant to cut down. And Paul says when you engage in that kind of conversation, it's worthless words. And it grieves God's heart. And the image Paul seems to have in mind is a community of Christians gathered together. And the topic of their conversation is they're ridiculing others at church who are different than they are. And pontificating endlessly about how they would know how to run this country better than anybody else in the world. Sharing off-color jokes with one another. And the picture is of the Holy Spirit watching this group meet in front of him. Pained in his heart thinking, is this why Jesus died? Is this what the new creation is supposed to be looking like? Is this what we've been through all these years to create this? This is what we want? That's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word spoken. We're not talking about small talk. We're not talking about witty banter. We're not talking about discussing what's going on in the news. We're talking about obscenity. 
foolish talk and sarcasm, ridicule, and mocking. Jesus says those things sadden the heart of God. Well, what then are we supposed to be talking about? Back to verse number 29 in Ephesians 4. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but instead, here's what we are to talk about. Only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. To build up others is to encourage them, to speak encouragingly to other people. Instead of engaging in worthless words, there are worthwhile words that we can share, and those are the words that build others up, that encourage others. Notice he says, that it may benefit those who listen. Literally, it says in the Greek, so that you may give grace to those who are in need. And the idea is is the Holy Spirit is so grieved at our worthless words because he's given us the opportunity to actually speak grace into another's life. The power to be able to take somebody and to build them up to be more like Christ by speaking grace into their lives. That's what it means to speak encouragingly. It's to talk grace to them. And the power that you and I have been entrusted with the power to speak grace. The Holy Spirit is grieved when we ignore that power and choose instead to engage in worthless conversation. He says to us, don't you know the power you've been given? The power to build others up, the power to make them like Christ, the power to talk grace into their life? Now, how do we do that? Well, just like we found further definition for worthless words in chapter 5, verse 4, so too I think we find further definition for grace-filled words in chapter 5, verse 4. Notice again that verse. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Gratitude. Now, there's lots of ways that we can speak encouraging words to one another, but the one Paul seems to have in mind that he's highlighting is gratitude. And if you think about it, gratitude has an amazing power. And I think you see that power best in the event from Jesus' life from Luke 17. You remember the story 10 lepers come to Jesus and they beg him for mercy. And he heals them, no strings attached, simply because he's a kind God and they are in need. And he gives them healing. All 10 of those men go away, but just one of them comes back and falls down at Jesus' feet and says, thank you. Now Jesus says, weren't there 10 of you? Where are the other nine? Now once he finishes talking about What's the matter with the other nine? He then says something incredibly powerful to the one who comes back to say thank you, which shows us the power of gratitude. He says to the man, now all he's done is come back to say thank you. He says to him, your faith 
has saved you. Now, he doesn't mean healed you. All ten were healed. And it's not like the healing was reversed when they didn't come back to say thank you. No, that was a free gift from God given to them because God is kind and good. But this tenth guy got something more than physical healing. He got spiritual healing. That's the power of gratitude. It's a means by which God's grace comes into our life. Now look how this works. What gratitude does is take a singular event and create multiple blessings. He takes the one event of healing and gets spiritual salvation out of it as well. This is the way it works in baptism. In baptism, when we come to faith in Christ, that is the grace of God saving us from our sins and from a life destined to be separate from God. When you come to the waters of baptism and publicly thank God for that event that happened in the past, you receive a second blessing from the same event. That by being grateful, you're blessed and everybody who hears the story is blessed. Isn't that what happens in communion as well? Jesus died on the cross one time. But every time we gather together to say thank you to him, that one event continues to bless us over and over again. That's the power of gratitude, is it takes a one-time event and brings more blessing from it every time you say thank you. Blessing to those who hear the story and blessing to the person who shares the story. This is our experience in our pastoral staff meetings here at the church. Every other Tuesday, our pastoral staff get together, and it's after our staff lunch, which the whole staff gathers on Tuesdays, along with some volunteers from the church. And during staff lunch, it's a very casual time, and we're engaging in uh, uh, humor and just uh, small talk and talking with one another. Well, the pastoral staff meeting is right after that, and we meet together to pray and to read theology and to talk about things at the church. And often what happens is that sort of casual banter from lunch spills over into the beginning of the pastoral staff meeting, and that's great, and that's fine. But for the past probably two or three years, we have started our pastoral staff meeting with the same question. And the question is this, how have you seen God at work in your life or your ministry this past week? And that one question, which is an opportunity for people to thank Him publicly and to testify to what he's done radically changes that meeting. That suddenly that casual conversation, which is all well and good, becomes now filled with the grace of gratitude. And people begin to be built up. And sometimes after three or four or five people get done sharing, we've actually said, let's just forget the rest of the stuff on the schedule and spend time thanking God. That's the power of gratitude. This is what the Holy Spirit's talking about here. When we are grateful to God, it brings grace into the lives of all who hear and those who speak. And they're built up. The same is true that when we're thankful not only directly for what God has directly done in our lives, but also when we're thankful to others for what God has done in our lives through them. You see, every one of us is created in the image of God, which means we need to be needed. 
We were designed to bless others. We were designed to serve. None of us were designed to sit on the couch all day. We were designed to do something to do good to others. This is why Ephesians 2 says that we were created for good works in Christ Jesus. And when you do those and someone thanks you for what you've done, that's God's grace coming to build you up. That's God's grace coming to make you stronger Christian because you are living out what he desired for you to do. That's the power of gratitude. That's why Paul says, speak encouragingly because when you say thank you to someone, that causes them to grow in grace because you're speaking grace into their life. After all, which kind of small group would you like to be part of? On one hand, a group that gets together and has off-color jokes and sexually charged humor, who spends hours and hours talk about, talking about the latest college recruiting classes, the one who sarcastically makes fun of people, each other and others outside the group. Is that the group you'd like to be part of? Or would you like to be part of the group in which people are sharing praises for what God is doing in their life, in which they're saying thank you to God and to each other for what He's doing? As an aside, which kind of marriage would you like to be part of? Which kind of parent-child relationship would you want to be part of? One filled with sarcasm or one filled with gratitude? Which kind of work relationship would you like to be? You want to see the power of this, the gratitude to change things radically? Next time you're in an argument with somebody, and let's just take a marital conflict, for example. The next time you say to your spouse, you never empty the dishwasher, or you always overreact, or you never do this, and your spouse says something equally inflammatory back to you, and you feel this shifting in the wrong direction, and it's spiraling out of control, the next time you do that, watch what happens when just one of you, in the middle of that downward spiral, says something like, that's true, but I do notice how hard you work every day and I'm thankful for that. Or you never take the dishes out of the dishwasher like you should, but I notice how much time you spend with our kids, and I do want to say thank you for that. Do you not think that would change the discussion? That's the power of gratitude, is it speaks God's grace into the situation instead of tearing people down, it builds them up. And God says, look, in the smaller community that you're engaged in, I didn't send my son to die for you so you could sit around being sarcastic. I sent my son to die so that you could speak grace to one another Amen. and build each other up. Right. Not all community is the same. Some community is filled with foolish talk, obscenities, and sarcastic, ridiculing humor. God says, don't be part of that kind of community. Instead, speak encouragingly to one another. I got an assignment for you. I want you to see the power of this at work. And here's what I want you to do. 
the next time you get together with your adult congregation or your small group or your serving group or maybe even your family. Start by asking two questions. Number one, how have you seen God at work in your life or someone else's life this week? What do you have to be thankful to God for this week? And number two, how has somebody else in this family, in this group, in this class been a blessing to you? And can you take a moment and say thank you to them? Try that. And see if what God is saying in His Word isn't true. That as you begin to thank God publicly and thank each other, that you will be speaking grace into the lives of others. And see if you don't walk out of that meeting thinking, man, I feel bigger in the grace of God. I feel that I have grown in God's grace. That's why Paul says the fourth commandment of community Speak encouragingly. Let's pray together. Lord, we fall short of this one. Lord, we love our sarcasm. We love our mocking humor. We love our obscenities. And we love our foolish talk. I can only imagine what heaven thinks of the conversations that we as Christians engage in. I'm sorry for the ways in which we have saddened your heart with the worthless conversation we let ourselves take in from the world around us. God, it's easy to look at the depths in which we fall short and think, well, there's nothing we can do about it anyway. Let's just keep going. But I pray, Lord, that these verses and this message would cause us to be less sarcastic, would cause us to shun foolish talk, to stop the obscenities and the vulgar language. I pray, Lord, that we would instead begin to speak words of gratitude. Gratitude to you and to others. God, would you enable us to do this so that we might speak grace. God, you have spoken grace to us. And now you've given us the chance to speak grace to others. Help us to seize that opportunity. So that each one of us may grow in that grace and become more like our beautiful Lord and Savior whom we love. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.